Turn in your Bibles now to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Please listen carefully to God's holy word. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Creator of heaven and earth, who do we have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Creator Lord, we bow our heads before you, our God, and ask from our hearts that you would prepare our ears and our hearts to receive your word. Help us to walk through this life with each new year, recognizing more and more how you have given to us and how you have blessed us, and yet how much more we need you still every single hour. Help us to cast aside all rival competitors and false gods who seek to dwell in our hearts. Show us how to find our strength and hope in you alone. Speak powerfully through your servant this evening that we might all hear your voice, not mine. For we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 121 is one of the most well-known psalms in the Bible. It was one of the first psalms that I learned as a missionary kid when we moved to the Andes Mountains of Peru. We would sing it at church, we would sing it at youth group, around campfires, on hikes, and when we felt discouraged. It was a psalm that always lifted up my spirits and reminded me of God's protection. And this psalm is considered a prayer of protection. It's a psalm of ascent. It's a prayer given for someone like a pilgrim who is about to embark on a journey. As you look at Psalm 121, you might notice in the text that the psalm goes from first person to second person. And this makes some theologians think that perhaps the psalm was some sort of dialogue between two people speaking back and forth. You can almost picture someone walking along the way with a pilgrim who's about to start a journey, and at a certain point, he sends them off on that journey with these words. Some picture that this scenario with the pilgrim starting to become a fearful expression of this journey ahead. And he asks, from where does my help come from? And immediately he answers, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
And his friend, in response to the pilgrim's fears and concerns, responds to him with words of encouragement, saying things like, He who keeps you will not let your foot be moved. God will keep you safe. He won't let anything happen to you. It can be helpful also to see in the individual pilgrim a representation in him of all concerned pilgrims. After all, we are all sojourners, pilgrims journeying through this world until God carries us home. As we look into this new year, this new year of service that God has called us to, we, like this pilgrim, need to be reminded of God's words of comfort. As we anticipate the new year, we need to be able to enter into it secure in God's care. In Psalm 121, God encourages His people by reminding us that He is our keeper. And I believe that He demonstrates that to us in this psalm by showing us how He has protected us in the past and how He has promised to provide His protection now for us in the present and how He will continue to preserve His protection over us in the future. First, we will... Focus on how God has protected us in the past. Some of you might know about an app that you can have on your phone called Google Photos. It's, a, it's an app where your photos are automatically backed up, and then with the genius marketing strategy of Google, they will send you a video of selected photos in, in, combined with cheesy music in the background of your kids as they've grown up from babies like Oliver to... 10-year-old Jeremiah. And they label it, they grow up so fast. And as my wife and I weep over this video, looking at how tiny they are, we're reminded of how quickly we forget the past. We must focus on the fact that God is constantly reminding us to look back to the past, to who He has been for us, how He has protected us through all the stages of our lives. And throughout history, we see how God's people continually reference His faithfulness to them. God's people are called to celebrate meals and to remember how He has protected them. When the people of Israel, for example, entered the Promised Land, they were to keep the Passover meals, to look back. And they were to say to their children when they asked them the meaning of this, they were to respond, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. The people of God uh, erected altars of remembrance and Ebenezer's, saying, till now God has helped us. The Lord has been with us. God built into Israelite life the importance of remembering. We are called to be a people who remember what God has done for us. But why do we need to remember? As we probably all know from experience, one negative experience can sort of shape and sour the entire perspective of a given event. Many of you who have probably gone to Disneyland have seen that family who started out happy at the beginning, and then at the end they're yelling at their children, we're here to have fun! Those moments of frustration sour the event. A family vacation that has been going well for a week 
can be spoiled over a tense argument or sick children, lost luggage or a fender bender. Suddenly that happy memory is tainted. The difficulty tends to swallow up those sweet memories. We forget the good and we remember the difficult. And inadequate or bad memories can damage one's perception of reality. That is why it's important to remember things accurately. To remember that the God who has always been faithful is still faithful even though we've gone through hardship. One passage that seems to really highlight this reality is when Elijah was facing the prophets of Baal. Let me, let me remind you of what happened in that story. If you recall, Ahab and the people of Israel were starting to turn towards Baal. And Elijah, God's prophet, challenged the 450 prophets of Baal to a sort of duel. He says, you take one bull and I'll take one, and we'll call out to our respective deities. And the God who answers with fire, He is God. The prophets of Baal agree, and they call out to Baal, mourning all the way into the afternoon with no response. And Elijah ridicules them and tells them, cry louder. Perhaps your God is in the bathroom, or perhaps He is asleep. They cry louder. They cut themselves. But no one answers. No one pays attention. There is no voice. The prophets of Baal have been unable to call down fire from Baal because he is a false god. But then Elijah orders in the middle of a three-year drought for four jars of water to be poured over his altar. Not only once, but three times. He prays, and the God of Israel answers. The passage says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! And they seized the prophets of Baal and slaughtered them. Moments later, Elijah then prays to God, so that he might end the three years of drought. And God sends rain. And then there's another miraculous event where Elijah sort of randomly girds up his loins and runs faster than a chariot past Ahab. Literally three verses after this event, three spectacularly miraculous and divine events where God has shown forth His glory and done exactly as Elijah has asked, Elijah's life is then threatened by Jezebel. She vows to kill him. And Elijah seems to forget of all of God's miraculous deeds and he runs off and hides from this woman. Do you see how Elijah forgets God's power? He's faced with an immediate fear and uncertainty about his life. And rather than trust in the God who just rained down fire from heaven and ended a three-year drought, he now flees from a mere human being. We look at this and we think to ourselves, how absurd. How could Elijah be like this? How could he be so foolish? How couldn't he just connect the dots and see that the God of the universe was on his side? How could he be fearful of man when God has just answered all of his prayers with power? Well, Elijah forgets and we forget. 
Brothers and sisters, we too easily forget that God is with us. We see how He has provided for us throughout Bible history and in our lives, and rather than remember His faithfulness, we focus on those immediate trials and difficulties that we face. We sweat the small things that are in our immediate radius, and we forget how He has protected and has kept us safe from certain disaster and danger throughout all our lifetimes. We remember a car accident, but we forget that God spared our life in that car accident. Our kids are sick with temperatures, stomach bugs, plagues, and we cry out in frustration over these seasonal illnesses and the tortures of the flu. But we forget that for the 345 other days of the year, we were actually in really good health. Thanks to God's provision. Perhaps your stocks didn't do as well as you hoped, but you forget to be thankful that you even have money to invest in stocks. You complain about Netflix, Disney, and Hulu, and all these TV services that are giving us subscription fatigue, and we forget that it was only just a few years ago that we had to drive down to Blockbuster to get a movie. We have become too accustomed to complaining and seeing the bad things that happen and have taken for granted the many, many blessings that God has given us. Simeon, my youngest son, had to have a very difficult cranial surgery. I easily remember the hardships of that surgery, but I admit I sometimes take for granted that God was right there with us through that whole surgery, protecting us and keeping watch over his little life. I take for granted the surgery that he went through and how God preserved him and left him in such wonderful condition. We forget about God's goodness far too often. And in this psalm, we are called to look back. In verse 4, we're reminded to look. Behold, says the author. Behold, look! He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Did you catch that? Somehow he inserted Israel into this. God made a covenant with Israel. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was later named Israel, to bless their offspring to the ends of the earth and to be with him. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God has kept his promise. He has been faithful to His covenant people throughout all generations. The God of Israel has never ignored His people or been unavailable to Israel. He will never be accused of having fallen asleep. God swore His faithfulness and salvation, and not only to these men, but to all represented in them, to all the people of Israel. This psalm of protection is not given just to an individual but to all of Israel's descendants. God has promised us His care, His protection, and we are called to look back and to remember this. God has not called us to live lives of anxiety and fear, but of power and love. So how do we look back? How do we remember? Well, we remember the same way that we first learned about God through the preaching of His Word, through the reading of His Word, through the sacraments and prayer. 
The Westminster Shorter Catechisms 88 through 89 remind us of these facts. When it says, The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are His ordinances, especially the Word, sacraments, and prayer. Then it says, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, building them up in holiness and comfort through faith. And then finally, that the Word may become effectual to salvation. We must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith, love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. In order to remember, we must look back. We must first be exposed to God's Word. We must attend to it with diligence, with preparation and prayer. We must lay it up in our hearts and we must practice it. Yes, and this is the time in the sermon that as you may have guessed at the end of the year that I'm going to call you to be students of the Word. As we look forward to the new year, we need to be looking back. Looking back to God's Word and attending to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. So that we might be built up with comfort. And as Pastor Nicoletti mentioned this morning, there are many ways in which we can do this. There are Bible reading programs on paper. And there are Bible reading programs for your phones, for your tablets. And if you didn't know this, you can now say to Alexa, Alexa, tell you Version Bible to read my Bible plan. And it will literally read to you the reading for that day. Bible apps exist that help us to have that instant accountability that we so much need to help us push one another and to sharpen one another towards reading together. I'm in the process of gathering together now a group of men in our church who will join me in this endeavor. And if you are wanting to join that Bible reading app plan, please let me know so that I can connect you. There are literally no excuses anymore. We are, all need to be immersed in God's Word. There are so many options at our fingertips. So here in this psalm, we are reminded to remember and to look back. But we also need to realize that God is with us both in the present and the future. Now, if you're a normal human being, going to the top of a high skyscraper building and going to the edge of that building and looking down may make you fear for your life. Sometimes even watching Videos of people doing crazy things on rooftops or looking over the edges of these buildings makes me nervous and tense. Perhaps you've watched the Mission Impossible movie where Tom Cruise is sliding down a glass building and your neck is tense, worrying for this actor. Why do we fear for our lives when we look down off of these high buildings? Even when we look at it through videos, why do we fear? Because we can imagine falling off of them and nothing being there to stop us. Though we're not actually falling, we can picture it, we can imagine it, and that imagination terrifies us. Looking toward the future, concerns of our lives in the next year to come and those worries is not too different than looking off the side of a skyscraper. Looking toward the future often gives you the experience of fear and anxiety Because often we look towards the future and don't picture God in those moments. 
we can't picture His comfort in that future imagination. And as you look and consider towards uh, 2020, what are some things that bring you anxiety? Perhaps starting a new job or going off to college? Maybe a new venture? A significant change in life? Health? Finances? Some might be worried about being useful or capable. Some of us might worry about our children. Others about their grandchildren. What about finding someone you love? Do you worry about that? Do you worry about your marriage? Do you worry about your parents? Maybe you weren't worried about any of these things, but now that I brought them up, you are. (laughs) No, I'm confident that you were already worried, as worrying is part of a natural response to life in this world. We all worry a lot. If you hadn't noticed, worrying is also part of this psalm. In verse 3, it says, He will not let your foot be moved. In the NIV, it says, He will not let your foot slip. For those of you who are thinking of non-slip shoes right now, I assure you that verse 3 is not about the fear of slipping. He will not let your foot slip is, is an expression for the whole person. Is a figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole. For example, when they say all hands on deck, they're not specifically talking about a sailor's hands. They're talking about the crew, the entire crew being on deck and ready to work. When we say that all these apps are at our fingertips, we don't mean just our fingertips. We mean they're available to all of us. Accessible. Readily accessible to us. And in the psalm here, we see a concern that God would give protection not just from slipping, though that could be a legitimate concern, but rather it represents the whole person. That God would protect the person from any problem along the way. And you see, the, the psalm here is not downplaying the potential of danger. The danger in life is real and it is hard. Our worries are based on real and genuine fears and realities that could bring us significant problems and difficulties in life. In verse 6, if you, if you look, there is an acknowledgement that there are things in the daytime and the nighttime that can bring us harm. Verse 7 shows us that there is an expectation of evil seeking for your life. These concerns are legitimate concerns. There is evil in the world. People do fall, and they fall hard sometimes. Whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, they fall. Life is certainly not easy, and there is more than enough fear to go around. If we could see all the dangers around us, we would probably never leave our homes. We'd be paralyzed in fear. And if we're honest, sometimes we are paralyzed with fear and avoid certain things for that reason. We know that things have gone poorly in the past and so we worry about the future. We look to the future and we do not see God there, so we worry. We only remember that bad thing that happened and not the 345 days where God poured out His blessings and goodness to us by His grace. And when we worry about these difficulties, our fears and our anxiety, they can be handled in different ways. One of the ways we can handle these things is by turning inward. We can become better people. We can strive to do better in 2020. New efforts, new resolutions, new strategies. We will overcome any of those problems that are coming our way. We will do better. We will work harder. 
we will get better grades and focus more on loving our family well and serving the church better. This answers the question from where does my help come from by answering that it comes from within. Of course, that is not the answer of this psalm. The psalm says rather something different. We can turn upward. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121 comes in with full force to our, this question. He who has kept Israel and guarded and protected her, the same God and creator of the heavens and earth, this God is the same God who keeps you now and tells you that He is with you. The God who came to Elijah's aid in His mighty power speaks to you through this psalm and tells you that you are His. God tells you you do not need to fear. He is with you always. He is watching over you in the middle of your apparent impossible situation. He will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you from falling into hopelessness. He will keep you in the midst of surgeries, in the midst of cancer, accidents, solitude, illness, and failures. He will not abandon you when you need Him most because He never slumbers nor sleeps. If you are God's children, He has promised to keep you as you go out and as you come in. He has promised to be with you in the hardest times of 2020 and beyond. But some of you have tasted the grief of death. Will He help us in death? Will He keep us in death? The psalm tells us that He will. He will keep us from this time forth and forevermore. Forevermore. The same God who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that is what the psalm is telling us to do, to remember that God has always been faithful, and the same God who has been faithful in the past is faithful today and tomorrow. Forevermore, He will be our help and our keeper. You see, God is a consistent and orderly God. He does not change. If He has been our keeper in the past, He will continue to be our keeper now and in the future. Even if that future is referring to an eternal future. Six times in these eight verses, the psalm reminds us that God is our keeper. God is not a temporal God who focuses only on temporal things. He focuses on the eternal. And He keeps us eternally. Our protection, our well-being, do not depend on your abilities. You cannot protect yourself. You cannot turn one hair white or black. You cannot determine when you live or die. You cannot control your health, your situation, your business, your education. None of these things depend ultimately on you. Your country, your family, your income do not rest on you. Neither does your children's safety or protection. Your future and your new year do not depend on you. You and I are far too small. We are far too inadequate. 
We are temporal. We are inadequate beings. We cannot do these things which are easy, and we cannot even more do that which is impossible, which is to save ourselves. So why are we safe? Why can we depend on God? Why can we trust on Him? We certainly don't deserve it. We certainly have not earned it. We certainly cannot accomplish it. We must depend on someone who is beyond time, who created time, and who gave us life and can take it. Our lives, our salvation, and all we are is kept and guarded and protected because of God's gracious covenant with His people. A covenant made with us through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the blood of Jesus Christ for our salvation and our ultimate protection. Brothers and sisters, without Jesus, we are nothing. Without Him, we are not reconciled to the Father. We are not part of Israel. And we will not be kept from evil. But with Him, with Jesus, we are made pure. We are made righteous and holy. We are covered under the shadow of His wing. And all that we do in His name is guarded and secured forever. And nothing can move us. Nothing can cause our foot to slip or cause us to separate from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In conclusion, as we look and consider this past year, the things that have brought us most grief and pain are probably the things that stand out the most. They can cloud our memory and can cause us to forget who God really is and what He has done. How He has cared for us in amazing ways, in ways that we have taken for granted. But as we turn back to His Word, we see and we remember how He has protected us. How He has watched over us and kept us from being swallowed up by sin. He has kept our lives. He has preserved us. And as we look back to the past to see God's faithfulness and being our protector, we realize as we look to the future that He who was our protector then is our protector both now and forevermore. And with this in mind, we can move confidently in God's grace and power knowing that He who created all things will keep us in our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.